It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Where is the Ark of the Covenant? What a mystery, right? Even the world outside of the body of Christ is so interested in that. There is documentary after documentary on different channels, exploring different theories about where it might be located. Not one show has ever come to a final conclusion because no one really knows if it's in Ethiopia or underneath Temple Mount or where. But we can read in the book of Revelation where John said he saw the Ark of the Covenant in heaven. Now, he could have meant that God took that sacred object and translated it right up to the celestial world because he didn't want it desecrated. Or maybe he was talking about the original celestial ark after which the earthly ark was patterned. Again, we're left with questions. I may not know the answer to those questions, but I do know where the spiritual Ark of the Covenant is located. Yes, I do know where the spiritual Ark of the Covenant is located. See, if you're a born-again believer, then you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. In the past two episodes of Discover Your Spiritual Identity, we've been exploring this revelation of what it is to be the temple of God. The body of Christ worldwide is a corporate temple made up of living stones on every continent and every nation where there's believers. You'll find evidence of living stones connected to one another in covenant relationship and building a holy temple unto the Lord worldwide in order for his glory to dwell in us. But we're also individual temples that God dwells in. And the pattern of the Old Testament temple was prophetic of many things within us. For instance, there were three sections to the temple, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And that relates to the three parts of us, body, soul, and spirit. The outer court relates to the flesh. The holy place relates to the soul, and the holy of holies relates to the spirit. Now, we've explored the other furniture in the tabernacle and the temple in previous episodes, but we're going to focus on the Ark of the Covenant on this podcast because that was in the holy of holies. And see, when you get born again, you receive a new spirit, according to Ezekiel's prophecies. He said, speaking on God's behalf, thus saith the Lord, I will put a new spirit in you and I will give you a new heart. And he said, I will walk in them and dwell in them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. So he promised to put a new regenerated spirit that is created in righteousness and true holiness, according to Paul's writings in Ephesians chapter four. So If there's ever been a holy of holies that can contain 
the Ark of the Covenant. It's your regenerated, blood-washed spirit because you're not just holy by your own achievements and religious works and strivings to keep God's commandments. You're holy through an impartation. He is Yahweh uh, Imkadesh, the God who sanctifies us. He makes us holy so that he can place within us what the Ark of the Covenant represented. See, an ark is a container. The Bible talks about several different arks. You have, of course, the ark that Noah built. Then you have the ark that Moses was placed in when he was floated down the Nile River. Then you have the Ark of the Covenant. Well, in a sense, all of them were Arks of the Covenant because Noah and his family were in covenant with God. Moses was dedicated to God and later on introduced a new covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. And so that little ark floating down the Nile River was an ark containing covenant revelation that would be brought to the forefront many years later, 80 years later, in order to bring deliverance to the children of Israel. Well, you and I contain covenant revelation now too. We're children of the covenant, according to Acts 3.25. Think of that, children of the covenant. No wonder God's covenant revelation flows through us. Now, let's focus on the different aspects, the different parts the different descriptions of the ark. It was made of wood, but it was overlaid with gold on the outside and on the inside. And gold is a symbol of the divine nature. And so this ark of the covenant, in a spiritual sense, inside of us, has the gold of the divine nature associated with it. Because, like Job said, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The Bible talks about passing through fiery trials and, and something happening to us, just like gold is refined in the fire. Well, that's what's taking place internally in us. Then there were four objects in the ark. The golden bowl full of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of stone on which the handwriting of God appeared, the Ten Commandments, as well as the book of the law, the Torah. We don't know for certain if the Torah was inside the ark or in a slot on the outside of the ark, but it was there with the ark. We know that. Let me take the last first. If you are the New Testament, New Covenant ark, then what happened in the early days is a much it is a much lesser manifestation of what is happening in you. And it was profound. It was powerfully profound that the finger of God, the fiery finger of God, wrote the Ten Commandments in tablets of stone on Mount Sinai, and then they were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. That is amazing. And yet, what God has done for you is even more amazing. Because that same finger, in a sense, that same fiery finger has engraved in your heart the law. In fact, there was a prophecy about it in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The prophet said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant 
with the house of Israel. And by the way, the word covenant means a binding agreement between two or more parties, each binding himself to fulfill certain obligations. Well, God's about to tell us what he's obligating himself to do. And he said, this is the covenant, verse 33, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He wasn't talking about writing with a pen where it could be smudged or writing with a pencil where it could be erased. He was talking about writing through this method of engraving in stone that was used quite often back then. That speaks of permanence. That speaks of God permanently engraving into your nature an innate desire to keep his law, to be an example of a law keeper in this lawless world. That's just amazing. And yet, if you're the new covenant container of covenant principles, that's the first thing that happens in your life. God changes your nature. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. The handwriting of God is inside of you. And that means ownership too. When God signs his signature over your life by writing his law in your heart, that's his way of saying, this belongs to me. And I'm going to watch over this to protect it. Now that's just one of four things in the ark. Of course, you had the book of the law too the Torah, but now the complete word of God is within us. We've been begotten of the word according to James' writing, and if God has begotten us with the word, then that implies a transfer of a supernatural kind of DNA. The word nature of God is now inside of us. A desire to fulfill the word should be inside of every one of us, that we might become living epistles, read indeed of all men in this world. Are you seeing it? Are you, are you seeing how you are the New Testament fulfillment of an Old Testament reality? The next thing that was in the ark that I want to cover was the rod. They laid up Aaron's rod in the Holy of Holies as a test because some of the other Israelite leaders said they were just as worthy to go into the Holy of Holies and commune with God as Aaron and Moses, and, and they rebelled against Moses' authority. And Moses said, well, we're going to put it to the test. And they laid up all their tribal rods. And the rods were not just sticks. They usually had carvings of the history of that person and the history of what God had done in the nation. They were symbolic of tribal authority. They were symbolic of um, a record, a history of what God had done in that person's life or what God had called that person to. Or at least I've been told historically, those rods were usually artistically designed and very symbolic. Well, they all laid up their rods before God, and none of them bore fruit except Aaron's. And Aaron, of course, had been put in the position of being high priest by Moses. Aaron was Moses' elder brother. And Numbers chapter 17, verse 8 says, it came to pass on the next day 
that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. So apparently, originally, it was a branch from an almond tree that had been separated from its source. It was dead, but resurrection life got in that dead almond tree, and it was awakened back to a fruit-bearing status. In fact, not only did God raise the rod back to life, he speeded up the process of bearing fruit. And that's got a message attached to it. If he can make a dead rod alive again, then he can make people dead in trespasses and sins alive again by this resurrection life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now remember, this rod was a symbol. Once it bore the blossoms and the almonds, it was a symbol that Aaron was authorized to minister to God as a priest in the Holy of Holies. And if what Aaron's rod symbolizes dwells in you, the resurrection life of God, quickening you from death to life, that in itself authorizes you to be a priest ministering to God in the Holy of Holies. Because 1 Peter 2.5 says we are a holy priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9 says we are a royal priesthood. The word almond in the Hebrew means the awakening one because the almond, the almond tree rather, was the earliest tree to bloom during the wintertime and before spring bursts out with all the greenery everywhere. The almond tree blooms ahead of time. And so it was called the awakening one. And I believe that's significant that you have been awakened spiritually. I have been awakened spiritually, but we also have the power to awaken others by the word we preach and the spirit that flows through us. And we function as priests that way because one of the main things priests did after they ministered to God was to minister reconciliation to the people. And if we do so, if we reach out to the world around us and bring people into the kingdom, we awaken them to the reality of God. The next thing that was in the ark was the golden bowl full of manna. Hmm. What does manna represent? Well, it was bread from heaven. And later on, Jesus said, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. So the manna on one level represented him but it also represents the word because Jesus was the word made flesh. The word manna means what is it? Because when the people went outside the camp and Moses told them that God was going to send bread from heaven, they were walking over top of it. It looked like little pieces of frost on the ground. It was white and like the frost that settles on a cold night. And they were tromping on it and <laughs> And Moses came out there and scooped up a bunch of it and says, this is the bread that God said he would send from heaven. And they said, manna, what is it? And I can imagine when they brought it home, every man had an omer full. That uh, The wife said, what is it? And the man said, that's what it is. It's manna. 
And you know how children are. They probably said, ooh, gross. We have to eat that. What is it? And the father said, that's what it is. It is. What is it? Because there was mystery associated with it. And all teasing aside, there's mystery associated with the word of God. What is it? It is the roadmap to eternal life. The word of God is a fire that burns in us. It's bread that nourishes us. It's a sword in our hands with which we defend ourselves. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That's what this manna is. There's a promise in the book of Revelation, though, I want to bring out. He who overcomes, God said, to him will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Well, there was only one portion of manna that was hidden. The rest of it always fell around the camp in full sight of everyone. It was not hidden. But there was one portion of manna that was hidden. And that was the manna that was put in a golden bowl inside of the Ark of the Covenant. So it represents to me the deeper revelation of God's word that is not the surface revelation most people are familiar with, but the deeper themes in God's word that you're, you're never really knowledgeable of until you walk a road of discipleship until you're dedicated and consecrated to God and you overcome the flesh and overcome carnality and overcome selfishness and overcome hatred and lust and rebellion and all the dark things that invade our character. God said, if you do that, if you overcome, something's waiting on you, a meal, a nourishing meal. It's called hidden manna, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. I want you to notice that every one of those items had an element that was earthly and an element that was heavenly. You had the golden bowl and the manna. The manna came from heaven. The golden bowl came from earth. Then there was Aaron's rod that budded. The rod came from earth. The resurrection life that brought it into a fruit-bearing status came from heaven. The tablets of stone. The stone came from earth. The handwriting came from heaven. And so the ark, in a sense, was a connecting point between heaven and earth, a connecting link between eternity and time, a place where a lofty God and fallen man could come together and renew relationship. If the ark of the covenant is in you, There's earthly things in your life, but there's also heavenly things in your life. You may walk around in a natural body, but the Bible says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You have the Spirit of God that came from heaven, the Word of God that came from heaven, and an earthly body that came from your mother and father, from this world. And so God mixes the two, and you are a connecting link. You are a connecting link between eternity and time, between heaven and earth between a holy and lofty God and unholy and fallen people. That really makes it sound much more important to fill this role, doesn't it? Now, remember, the main thing that the ark existed for was not just what it contained, 
but what it held or what it supported or what it provided a seat for. Because the lid of the ark or the end of the ark was the beginning of something else. It was called a mercy seat. And when you come to the limit, the end of what we can do, then you have to depend on God and it moves to another dimension altogether. Well, who sat in that seat? The high priest? Absolutely not. No one ever sat in that seat. It was for God himself. Thank God it was not called a judgment seat. It was called a mercy seat. And it was sprinkled one time a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, with the blood of a goat to lift the national sin debt of Israel. It was the holiest day of the whole year because they were in a holier condition than any other time in the year because of what happened on that seat. And once again, element of earth, element of heaven, a golden seat that came from earth and the glory of God. The Shekinah is what the Jews call it, which means the one who dwells, the one who dwells. And thank God, God was dissatisfied dwelling in a tabernacle tent and moved out. God was dissatisfied dwelling in a temple covered with gold and moved out. But when he came into your heart, he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you because a tabernacle tent and a temple could not contain and manifest the character of God. A tabernacle and a temple could not commune with God or love God or worship God in response but you and I can. We're living temples. And for that reason, we are a greater fulfillment of God's original desire to dwell among men. So how does the mercy seat connect with us? I believe if Jesus is Lord of your life, and if you are a subject in his kingdom, and he's king over your life, then you have enthroned him within your heart. He enthrones himself in the praise of his people, the Bible says. If that be true, and it is, then his new mercy seat is invisible and internal. Just like the Ark of the Covenant is within you, the mercy seat is within you, and the glory of God is is within you. God pours out the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. And that's not only mercy that brought you into the kingdom, but mercy that you extend to the world. Because see, you're the new mercy seat from which the king of kings rules and reigns in your life and then reaches out to influence others mercifully. So that's why we should be merciful, even as our heavenly father is merciful. And then the last object I need to bring out is the cherubim that were on either side of the mercy seat facing each other, totally occupied, marveling uh, in a sense, of course, symbolic sense, at the glory of God in between, enraptured, captivated by the beauty of that glory. Cherubim are heavenly creatures. You find Cherubim mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, they were at the east of Eden to keep the way of the tree of life, a heaven on earth condition originally, but then heaven made its departure and earth plunged into darkness. But there were cherubim there, keeping the way back to the tree of life. In Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 10, 
you find descriptions of cherubim. In Revelation chapter 4, they're referred to as living creatures, but described the same way. And it's a very interesting description. In Revelation, they have four different faces. The face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of an eagle, the face of an ox. And those are all the chief animals in their particular area of, uh, of the animal kingdom. For instance, the ox is the king of domestic animals. The lion is the king of wild animals, wild beasts. The eagle is the king of all birds, and man is the king of them all. And so there's a reason those four faces in Ezekiel's account and in John's account in the book of Revelation appear on the cherubim. In one account, uh, each cherubim has all four faces. In the other account, uh, each individual cherubim has one face, but all four faces are represented. Why? I believe it speaks of the reclaiming of the divine image because God represents himself by these animals. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He spoke of bearing Israel on eagle wings to bring them out of Egypt. He represents himself as an eagle. He represents himself as an ox. Every single ox that was ever offered up on a sacrificial uh, altar was representative of Jesus who came to bear our burdens, just like the ox is the main burden-bearing animal. So this speaks of the image of the character of God that is on either side of the glory of God. And if we are the New Testament, Ark of the Covenant, then there's heavenly activity around us. There's, in a sense, there's angelic activity around us represented by the cherubim. But also, the nature of God is penetrating into us where the glory is. We have an eagle nature. We have a lion-like nature. In fact, the righteous are as bold as a lion. They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. We have an ox-like nature because Jesus said, come to me and take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Well, oxen were the animals that pulled a plow and were yoked together, and that was the image Jesus gave. So all those animals speak of the divine nature coming into us so that we reflect his nature in this world. Well, that's the sum of it. You are God's New Testament temple. The Ark of the Covenant dwells within you. Walk in covenant with God and introduce many others to what they can be and what they can have if they enter into a covenant and become children of the covenant in this New Testament era. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shree's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. 
We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be. 